0: Cannabis Makers, I hope everyone is high and happy and ready for another episode of the Cannabis Maker Podcast. My name is Øystein and I'm here with Liam.
1: What's up guys, welcome to episode 8 of the Cannabis Maker Podcast and on today's episode we've got Jared from Lost Coast Wellness joining us who will give us a little bit about Humboldt history, what makes the region so special. Jared himself is working with Lost Coast Wellness and has been doing so for the past 16 years out of Shelter Cove in California, creating specific therapies for targeted treatments of any condition. Before we get started on today's session of the Cannabis Maker podcast, we're going to take a quick second to give a shout out to our sponsors. Today's episode is self-sponsored by Nordic Herb Zone. Nordic Herb Zone is Norway's first cannabis and hemp brand and works with the best medical cannabis doctors, pharmacists, and patients to provide more information and access to medical cannabis patients in Norway and Europe. If you're interested in a medical cannabis prescription and want to find out more, head to nordicherbzone.com, nordicherbzone.com, com. all right ladies and gentlemen welcome to episode eight of the cannabis maker podcast today this evening this morning this afternoon depending on where you're coming in to us from the world we've got david Corey, mr q jared diana rokas g ray willie ryan don and caleb we've had uh quite a few interesting conversations quite a few cool things happening over the past week in the cannabis maker uh podcast sphere. We've had medical cannabis doctors, we've had discussions about branding and education and having uh, Corey and Jared with us today as well. It kind of really got me thinking more about the history of the cannabis plant and why we've seen some regions in the world really excel and be known for that history and, and culture. And just for the people that don't know, I was wondering, Jared, maybe if you could give us a quick little 30 second minute breakdown on on why the emerald triangle really is so known in the cannabis scene and and what people need to really know and remember about it.
0: Um, So I would say it's the region, the the microclimate here is what really makes the cannabis so amazing and and then I guess the geographical location um, in relation to San Francisco I guess when everybody was leaving. Uh, You know, the back to the landers in the 50s and 60s, they started coming back up here to kind of get away from society. And it was that group of initial people that really kind of, you know, started growing here. But what made it kind of stick, I think, is the fact that it happened to be in these microclimates where the weather, it gets really hot and then it gets really cold at night. And it's not really cold into freezing, but, you know, it's that that really big heat fluctuation is what gives you that really full, complex terpenes. And it really allows the plant to fully express itself because it's going through such variants of temperature. I mean, that to me is really what creates the region. And then you have all these different, uh, you know, obviously amazing farmers to people that are just in the green rush. That came out here to just pillage the land, make some shitty pot, and and kind of throw it out out there. But a lot of those people through legalization have been whittled out, and it's the you know the true blue people who are in it to win it, no matter what, are kind of holding up that I guess that humble spirit that was started back in the day um, by those legacy farmers, you know, that weren't able to get permits. And even having said that, the black market is still extremely healthy uh, here in Humboldt. Um, you know, it's right along with the white market. But I'd say the history of why is it really good? It's because of the, the geographical location. I've grown all around the country, and this place definitely lends itself to growing not only the best pot, but it also grows. It, it's the drying, the curing, all of that. Is much more manageable in my opinion here in a natural setting obviously if you're gonna have controlled settings wherever you go indoor type stuff you can have it wherever but just in the sheer volume of people just being able to grow and cure and you know and dry um, all that kind of pot almost outdoor allows that to kind of really have a lot of a lot of cannabis being grown here I mean I the numbers that I was seeing, you know, years ago, is we were supplying up to sixty percent of all of America's pot was coming out of right here in Humboldt, and so it's just the volume that we're able to create, and because of the quality, I think it competed on the global market and the national market. So, but now that you have places like Oklahoma and you know other places that are coming online that are now the new, the new old California. I would say, where it's kind of the, the wild west, where you can just go in there and pretty much grow and do anything. But there's a huge learning curve. I know a lot of people that lost a lot of stuff here in Humboldt because they couldn't get permitted or they didn't want to get permits. They just wanted to stay in the black market, ran over to Oklahoma to start doing what they've been doing here for many years, making good money. And they're getting their ass handed to them out there because of the hail and the wind that pops up It's just a completely different climate and they don't, you know, there's a big learning curve, I guess, wherever you go. Having said that, Humboldt is the most supple, amazing kind of climate for growing in terms of the wind, in terms of hail, in terms of real freezing, in terms of real heat and dryness, you know, it kind of stays because there's so much water in the environment around here, it really kind of stays just green and lush Uh, you know you're you're around there's you know in the hills it'll dry out a little bit but for the most part it stays very nice around here so the environment so with that I'd probably I mean unless you have any other questions that's probably you know why it it has the the longevity of quality coming out of here is because the environment and the clean water the, the clean air
2: so uh, i spent a little bit of time down there i lived in california for a few years and originally you know up here from uh canada but there's definitely that passion there where like it's even left such an imprint on me to where you know people think i'm originally from california the way i talk about the plant and the experiences <laughs> experiences of it there jared so there's definitely something that you know has really you know sorry everybody for the pun, those you know me working with Resonate Cannabis, but it really resonates with me, the way they operate uh, and the way they guide themselves. It's just, yeah, I love it. That's the, you know, definitely wanted to point that out because I haven't met too many people, special people like that around the rest of the world, to be honest with you.
0: The people here are amazing. I mean, it's a, it, it, it's very unique um, culture of people because it's, it's the, the riffraff of traditional society, I guess, that you know, people that, you know, make their own things and do their own thing and make their own way and just kinda couldn't get along in the city come out here and they find that you know, you just get welcomed right in. It's the kind of place that just sucks you right in and you become, you know, one of one of the locals really quick because we're all kinda new local, you know, trying to find our way and, and make it just kind of the eclectic kind of collection of of people here is very unique. And then you, you, you segue that into growing cannabis and you get some really unique opportunities to get high (laughs) and get medicine, you know, it's, you know, like, like Larry was up here growing, uh, you know, that sour tsunami that he loved that helped his back he wasn't necessarily looking for CBD. He was looking for that plant that made his back feel better. And the other plants that, you know, got you really high, wasn't necessarily giving him the back pain relief like that sour tsunami did. And so he just kept growing it because it made him feel good. And so you got many farmers that did that all throughout this land that were growing their unique strain because it it helped them for their unique situation. I think that's why cannabis is so unique. It it actually can adapt to the user. Uh, You know, you however you need the plant, the plant will adapt to what you need it to do. Now, whether it's getting high or making rope or making fuel or making bioplastics, the plant's amazing.
1: I appreciate that. Really, really, you painted. You went through and really painted a picture again for me and. It's kind of something that i've forgotten and definitely missed because since i've been out there it's definitely been more than uh more than a year now and uh yeah just before we started recording as well talking about that that drive down the coast from yeah it's a beautiful spot to come into and yeah i I feel like definitely the area changes i've yet to find places similar to that in europe and i feel it's something that, that, that that's why it's so special as well because over in europe a lot of the growing culture is you know it's still indoor a lot of people who have grown outside it's not on the same scale and it's difficult to find in that same way you know we really push into other regions more on the on the borders of, of europe and the southern or more eastern countries but i think it's definitely going to be uh yeah people need to hear that more people need to be reminded of the history more and, and where it all came from for sure i'm um,
0: i got i mean i could tell you where the history of the in my opinion, where the history of the CBD, the new CBD genetics came from. So um, you would appreciate this being in Spain. Um, at Spanibus, um, Jaime, I think it was 2010, won with the Canatonic line. And the month before, Larry Ringo had the sour tsunami got tested with Samantha Miller, uh, and they found out that it had a 5% uh, CBD ratio also in it. <clears throat> and <clears throat> Kevin Jodry happened to know Larry Ringo uh, here in America and also happened to be going to Spanibus that year and saw that the winner was Canatonic with a 5%. And he realized, it, like, oh, my God, you know, two 5% happened in the same month, you know, in the world. And previously there was no, uh, genetics that had, you know, any test. There may have been genetics, but we weren't testing really in the volume that we that we began testing in 2010 for CBD and stuff, you know, just kind of commercially. And so the only strains that were available here in America that I could find were the Harla Sioux and the blueberry, and I think they had 2.7 and like a 3.2% CBD. And I've had, I found those in 2005, <clears throat> but I was looking for other strains that had higher CBD and I couldn't find anything um, that had higher than that 2.7 and 3.5, the blueberry and the uh, Harlequin. And then I saw the article about Larry Ringo having the 5%. And so Then I was like, okay, I got to get to Humboldt. I got to find this Larry guy, and it took me about a year before I could get up here and found someone to find. I mean, how I found it was a whole other story. I mean, this is amazing. But anyways, I found Larry um, around 2000, end of 2010. It was 2011, and uh, by the time I had found him, I had learned of the story about him and Jaime doing a breeding project um, that Kevin set up at Dreddy Aaron's. So that year, you know, that I was trying to get up to them, they had actually already had started a breeding project. Um, And during that breeding project, that's whenever the big 10 came out, the Oracle, the Amrita, the Susie Q, the ACDC, all of those came out of that breeding project in 2011. And so that was exciting for me because now we had 30 to ones, 15 to ones, 20 to ones, 10 to ones. We had all sorts of amazing cultivars that came out of that breeding project, which was the Sour Tsunami from Larry Ringo and the Canatonic from Jaime. So they bred that at Dreddy Errands and created all these amazing strains. And I was excited to get up here and just get that 5%. And then when I learned that that they had this whole breeding project going on, I went, oh, my God. So then I decided to move to Humboldt. So after meeting Larry, I drove back down to California, Southern California. I was living in Newport Beach, and I basically sold everything. Packed up the family in the RV, and we headed back up to Humboldt. It took me about three months to sell everything and kind of pack it up and head up head up north. Could not find a place to live. You know, the one place that I could find, I rented it, but it wasn't available for, like, three months later. So we ended up moving up to Humboldt and living in the RV for a month, month and a half, which was fun as can be. We lived on a farm. Uh, And, uh, anyway, the sad part of that story is the, the week I left to go back to sell everything to move back, Larry got diagnosed with cancer, lung cancer. And then, uh, he basically died within three months of getting diagnosed. So by the time I got back up to Humboldt to do a breeding project with Larry, he had died. And so... I'm like, okay, this is, you know, I I knew I was still in the land of where all the genetics were and everything was happening. So it wasn't, you know, like, okay, let me move back. It was just like, okay, let's just figure this out. So I began poking around town trying to find out who had CBDs and what was going on. And then I realized, I found out from a friend that uh, Kevin Jodry uh, had a dispensary called Grass. He had just opened. And... Kevin was the guy who connected Jaime and Larry. And so I went, oh, great. He's going to have some, some of the genetics. And so I go there and find out that Kevin made a deal with Larry to give away all this genetics. Larry, you know, as part of his dying wish, I guess, was to just make sure that everybody got all of these CBD genetics. And so Kevin began literally giving away, you know, making clones. He had one of the first dispensaries in Humboldt County. And he was um, making, you know, ACDC cuts and Harlequin cut and making all the different, all the Big Ten, not the Harlequin, but the Susie Q and the Amrita and the Oracle and all those. He was giving all of that genetic material that was the, the breeding project over Dreddy Aaron's which in my mind was the real first um, n- new CBD breeding program. I mean, we have hemp breeding programs where it's just strictly hemp and we have cannabis, you know, THC breeding programs, but this one was one specifically designed to kind of hunt those higher CBD cultivars in, in the cannabis family, not so much the hemp family. And so that to me is where those real genetics were, were really happening. And so I could not believe that Kevin was, that Larry and Kevin and I mean, everybody was just giving those genetics away. And so I started gobbling them up. I just, ever, I'd go there every week and I'd get the amount, the free amount that they would give away. And I just, I went there so often that that's how I got my name, CBD Jared is Um, William Pedro the guy you know Kevin Jodry's right hand man gave me the name CBD Jerry because I just kept going back for CBDs and all they sold were THC and these were like the free things on the side that they would just give people after you would buy some THC plants they'd give you a and I didn't even go there for any of the THC plants I had all of the cultivars that I want connections to get that but I wanted the CBD, and so I ended up just going there and collecting all those genetics, and then started stabilizing them, and breeding with them, and feminizing them, and just kind of capturing them because I knew that I knew the value um, in them, uh, because I had been working, like I said, since 2005 with helping people, you know, with this with these different plants, and so, you know, not to go into much detail, we were doing some amazing things um, with the oils, the RSO, and uh, I ended up hooking up with Rick Simpson in 2007 and helped kind of refine the methods of how to make RSO. He he knew that there was and sativa, but he wasn't on to the CBD trip yet, and so I was, I began kind of, making the oils out of those new cultivars that we were that we were getting out of grass that was all these you know new strains that no one had really played around with so not only was I breeding with it but I was also making RSO with it you know testing it out on anybody willing to play with me so um, I learned a whole lot during you know that period and you know still to today I'm still constantly learning but because i was giving it away for free just to collect the data i i was able to really kind of understand where this is ultimately going to go this plant this whole industry it's all going to boil down to the compounds and uh, the um the ratios and the profiles specific for each illness i mean and samantha miller um who did the first testing with Larry Ringo to find out that 5%, she's actually pioneering a study to match the genome of the plant, the genome of the illness, and the genome of the person. And it's really amazing work um, that she's working on. Um, And I see that there's going to be a medicine cabinet one day where we know exactly which illness, which group of plants will address which body type and it's going to be exact and we're going to couple that with mushrooms and it's just going to be next level we're not going to really have anyone sick anymore because these pharmaceuticals have been um you know just filling our body with so much residues that the connective tissues aren't able to co- really communicate the way they used to and what these cannabinoids and flavonoids and <laughs> riboflavonoids and all these compounds coming out of the plants help us do is remove all that from our body and allows our tissues to to communicate properly again and then we notice that the body just comes online you know it's just it's like putting proper soil in a plant a good soil the plant's going to grow well if you put shitty soil in and it becomes toxic the plant's not going to grow for shit no matter how much good air and light water you give it it's just not going to grow well so you know, we got to fix our, our gut biome and these plants are going to help us do it. And I'm just, I'm really excited about the future of it because we, they're, you know, there's 200 compounds in cannabis and we're only really playing around with like 10 of them. And so, you know, it's, it's exciting to really have a medicine cabinet of genetics to be able to go into and really start playing with, to try to pull out all these other compounds in different ratios to see what they do to the body. That to me is just, we're literally scratching the surface and we're excited. So it's just that much more exciting to understand what the rest of these compounds are gonna do and all the terpenes and how they all interact with each other. You know, it's
2: where we are. There's something in the cannabis plant too where uh, in the root system, uh, I've learned that there's different terpenes that are actually existing in that root zone in comparison to above the plant. So I think you're entirely correct about the communication with the plant, and it's one of the, you know, big strategies that I try to focus on with anybody that I'm helping, you know, getting their cultivation stuff together is really focusing on these cultivar-specific cultivation plans, you know, especially when you're running into a cultivar that is, you know, hemp-based, has a little bit of more, a little bit of CBD in there it has different nutritional requirements, it has different lighting requirements. Uh, You know, ergo, your cultural practices have to change uh, just a little bit uh, in order to still provide this, uh, you know, top quality medicine. So that's what I'm kind of hoping on is that people listen to this education so that they're also able to apply that, uh, you know, at the cultivation aspect, because that's, you know, the real important end of it here is the people who are trying to cultivate things, they need to know and understand the importance of those products so that hopefully they put a little bit more love uh, into that process and you know make those winning decisions on the production floors uh, instead of it just being ideas yeah for sure and mixing the different mycelium um,
0: strains will make um, so to speak like a different cake different soil different mixtures and all those different mixtures um, create a different rhizosphere response like you were saying, the the plant actually sends signal down its roots to stimulate the microbes to 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 make more byproduct for them to eat. And then they make it and then they absorb it. And so there's an absolute an exchange that happens at the root zone from microbes to the plant. And you can enhance that microbial exchange or that communication noise by playing with the different mycelium, uh, mixtures. If you, you know, if you know what I'm saying,
2: plant root exudates uh, conversation. That's a scary, scary hole to go down. (laughs) Talk about taking (laughs) a podcast. (laughs)
0: Absolutely. Absolutely.
3: Oh, could I ask a follow-up question? On the, um, I, I focused more on the industrial hemp applications. Did you do any work and research on those varieties? And also I work here in the Chicago area and the Midwest really is positioned in the corn and soy belt So, we really will need to focus on soil regeneration. And, um, obviously hemp has a lot of phytoremediative benefits that can clean up what we have with our, um, toxic soil from in, industrial agriculture, but, um, mycelium applications to regenerate the soil is is a really interesting topic because we will have to plant at scale i mean large acres to be able to facilitate production for industrial applications i'm just curious if you did any work in that regard we
0: we have done some work there uh the the mycelium remediation is good um for certain remediations other things uh the plant um the hemp plant or cannabis plant is really good for it because it's a biosequestering sequestering plant and you can actually, you know, what it pulls out of the ground, you can pull out of the, you can test the bud basically and see what you're pulling out. And over time, you can see that you're actually have cleaned the soil because you keep testing, you know, after you've done several grows on the soil, you're like they did at Chernobyl uh, or do, they're doing at Chernobyl with sunflower and, and hemp plants that they, they planted every year to, to, to pull out um, the, the radioactive material that's kind of fallen onto the ground. So the same thing's occurring from all the different pesticides and all the garbage that we have, you know, in the, in the new places that we want to grow because now everybody can grow hemp everywhere and that's really been the problem with these smokables everybody started growing hemp and pretending you know to skirt around that law and what's happened is it's you know we're, we're making hemp cigarettes basically out of the first rounds of what should be thrown away or bioremediated in a different manner um anyway yeah with certain uh like hemp varietals, regular hemp varietals don't pull out as much as cannabis varietals because they have a bigger bud, and the more bud you can put in, the more you can biosequest out of the out of the ground. Having said that, there's you know obviously certain cultivars will pull out more than others, but it's 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 nominal. It's not to the point where, uh, or we haven't figured out yet. I'm sure someone is doing a lot more work than. Than we have for sure. Um, trying to figure out which strains do what on which chemicals, um, we just know that it does. It pretty much pulls everything out in some degree. Uh, so I'm I'm curious to learn more about this myself because this, you know, to make something organic, you got to grow. It's the first seven years. It has to be pretty much clean, and that's the kind of the same same kind of method or scenario should be holding true for hemp if you're gonna use it as a smokeable if you're gonna try to make it organic because it is pulling out all the stuff from the air and anything you know the top layers of soil it's really um, you know it's pulling out those those toxins and you don't really want that in any of the material you're, you're gonna use anyway I don't know if that answered your question, but there's a I'm blanking on the name. Uh, I can't remember. There's a company that 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 specializes in the bioremediation with, with cannabis. I can't remember the name of it right now.
3: Yeah, I believe that UW-Madison is also doing some research on mycelium. Soil regeneration. So it'll be interesting to see what the future holds in that regard.
0: When I was when I was talking about mycelium earlier, I was kind of really, you know, using it to kind of induce all the different um, microbes in the ground, uh, the bacterias and stuff like that. You can really kind of make your soil be very unique, your terroir, based on. Uh, the microbes that you're putting into the ground. and as a result, it will make your buds do different things. Like you can have you know regular soil, five different mycelium in one side, and then five other mycelium in the other pot, two plants right next to each other, and you'll get a different terpene expression. And so you you, you know, learning that will help you really find t- the strain that you're growing to exactly kind of what you want so the mycelium can really play around with the microbial growth because the mycelium is the network mycelium actually I believe is the network between the microbes um, making the material making the byproduct in the plant um, absorbing it I think the mycelium is able to take that information from the microbes and passes it to the uh, the roots. I mean, somebody might be able to correct me on that, but you know that's kind of like the the neural network in in the soil that allows all the real communication to happen between the, all the different species. <coughs> so.
3: Yeah, and that definitely addresses our issues with soil here in the Midwest because the chemical applications from years of industrial agriculture, there is no microbial life in the soil, which really impacts the health of the plants. So yeah, it's it's really fascinating work.
0: So what you could do with that is test, uh, once you grow a round of material on that field, test it to make sure it's not poisonous um, and if it's not just mill it right back into the ground just till it all back you know into the soil and and you'll start putting um your you'll start creating the environment where the microbes will want to re you know your the environment isn't such they don't have any microbes in the ground Um, or it's it's lacking the complexity of microbes and the soil becomes, you know, stagnant. I I look at soil, you know, there's 5% beneficial microbes and there's 5% non-beneficial microbes and the 90% in the middle will swing towards who's in charge. And so uh, if the 5% non-beneficials are either removed or in charge, then you're going to have 90, 95% bad soil and it'll get stuck. So you have to introduce the bad soil. You know, once you retill this in, you'll want to do a field spray with some good microbes and you'll want to keep it wet. Then you can you can rebuild that soil once you reactivate and encourage the growth of the 5% good microbes that want to, you know, keep the soil alive and keep it happy and healthy.
3: Well, thank you. That's great input. I know with industrial applications for varieties um and doing doing soil testing you know it's difficult to do research when you're working with dead soil so that's really really great information thank you
0: what strains are you or what are you what's your end use uh for your industrial applications
3: well my focus is the industrial side so i was the executive director for the U.S. Hemp Building Association for a year. I left that position last fall and I'm focused on some other projects now. But um, so, hemp construction was primarily what my background is. But um, in developing that supply chain and really develop and growing production and getting farmers um, trained or in practice of doing a different form of agriculture, um, we had to keep our eye across the entire supply chain. I worked with the ASTM and the ICC on um, establishing material standards and building codes on a commercial scale for hemp construction, because uh, you, you can build in agriculture zones and residential zones where the the um, regulations aren't as stringent, but once you get to commercial construction, fire codes are very important to have in place for building inspectors to work with. So, Um, To get the industry to scale, we really have to create the market. So that's what we were looking at. But in in regards to full plant, whole plant utilization, you really have to look at other aspects as well as including textiles and biofuels and the whole gamut.
0: Yeah, that's, that's what we're, I'm specialized in trying to find uh, going through my vault of genetics and then, you know, identifying, uh, use for it so you know we'll have different companies come to us and say that they want to make a better rope or they want to make a a hotter burning fuel or they want to make you know better bioplastic and we'll say well, what kind of bioplastic are you making we'll identify that compound we'll go into the vault and we'll try to find genetics that express that particular compound more than others And then we'll try to stabilize that genetic and then we'll license that out to that particular industry or that that business so that they can have their unique strain that helps them have a corner in the market for that particular use application.
3: Also great information. Yeah, there are universities across the country. We have a coalition here in the Midwest of four state universities that are doing um, research and collecting data, but they're much more focused in the area of um, CBD and, and those type of compounds than industrial, but there are test plots across the country, but that, that's really great information as far as the source to be able to have that kind of expertise in the genetics. So it's an honor to meet you. Thank you.
0: I'm just glad to be invited to the crew. It's always fun to come and just talk and learn, learn more. Uh, this is Thank you guys. I'm sorry. Thank yeah, you, ladies. I was just going to tap in there and say, Jared, I think I le- or we are learning a lot more than uh, you are learning from us, but I uh, really, really appreciate all the breakdowns and I really appreciate having you here. Uh, on just the CBD side of it, and the CBG, I'm working with two universities in Penn State, Oregon State, where they're using the CRISPR technology to kind of splice in the CBD and remove enols and and do some some things I don't necessarily agree with, um, but I know that it's happening, so it, we gotta you know if if we don't involve ourselves with it, then other companies will, and they'll create something that I don't know about and then um, then you know then I acknowledge is power in this industry. so the more we know, the more we can kind of cut things off at the past, so to speak if they're going to be licensed creating these things, well we're going to have to do our own to protect. You know our our own genetics. You know we're part of the the data open uh, the data alliance, uh, where we uh, we're creating a a blockchain open source uh, sharing data sharing uh, platform basically, and then there's the Open Cannabis Project, which is ongoing right now, which you can license all your genetics with and kind of go find out a lot of amazing stuff that's just open sourced there. So those are. Two good things coming down the line. Mm-hmm.
4: Jared that sounds really interesting the blockchain stuff Um I think blockchain has got a really important part to play in this industry um, could you tell us a little bit more about what you're working on if, if, if that's okay? Uh, sure, uh,
0: <clears throat> so I'm just kind of the the genetic side of it I'm I'm new to blockchain and and all the so, I don't know the details of that. I'll have to get my buddy Wes and some of the members from Microsoft that are helping on the team to get on the phone call to really kind of give you a breakdown on how it's going to work out. But the idea is we are creating a platform where we can share all of our, for me, I'm unique in it because I have not just a, a business, vertically integrated business from farms to making products uh, and processing and stuff, but I also have genetics, so I can offer genetic material, so I'm kind of diverse in the company. But it's, um, it's just an open source sharing platform that allows us to put our data, you know, our, our inputs uh, into the platform so that we can learn more about the industry and learn more about ourselves. But more importantly, we maintain control of that data. You know, a lot of these companies, if you go to a university, or you go to a biotech company and you try to work with them, you know, they'll, they'll work with you and they'll charge you. And then they, they think they own the data because that's how they work. And so I've for years have been running into this problem because I wanted to license these genetics and give them out to the world. But, um, as I would do so, they would keep the data. And so I'm like, hold on a second. (laughs) This isn't really, This isn't working i want it to be free for everybody and i want to own it myself because i helped create it and so um there's no reason why they should own it and so i've been going around trying to figure out how to circumvent that and my buddies and i have decided to just put this um ethical data alliance program together uh years ago about it's been about two years year and a half uh, we decided to put it together so we're still constructing it and part of bringing it online is all of us that are part of it have our businesses that we still have to bring online and get actually fully functioning and you know moving lots of products and you know there's only a few of us that are that are actually you know fully moving up so to speak or vertically integrated so that we can actually move you know we're not dependent on you know, certain things coming from other people, you know, we're really are full control. And so not many companies have that flexibility. So it's taking a little bit of time to kind of put it all together, but it's coming. And I think we'll probably have it together in, in the next year or less, um, but that would be a whole nother call that I'd love to get Wes and Ethan Hunt and all the other guys uh, from the, from the data Alliance on the call. Cause it it is, a really good thing that everybody should be aware of and should be able to get involved in and because otherwise you don't control the data i mean when the data goes out um every you know all these other big companies are t- are taking it and
2: you know you don't really have
0: any say so after it goes out and so we're just all going around creating all this data, which is very usable, and, um, you know, so, I don't know, for me, that's protecting <laughs> protecting, and saving the data has been paramount, because the genetics are where it's going to all start and where it's all going to end. Um, and I saw what, what GW Pharmaceutical was trying to do, and trying to, you know, kind of, take out all the different compounds and reorganize it into a pill, trying to act like the plant and patenting all this, and then going around also patenting all the different cultivars. So it kind of really, you know, pigeonholed our ability to use these different genetics uh, in the future. And so I see that as a huge scare in the industry because we don't want to be left to using only certain plants because there's a utility patent on 90% of them that would be god awful
2: so so like i've heard this debate a million times and for me from like my cultivation perspective there's still you know thousands and thousands and thousands of cultivars i think that we you know potentially untapped uh, you know out there in the market so uh, you know what does that mean to you know guys like me who are in the industry where like in canada up here we're not really concerned about that yet but this is a conversation in almost every single American cannabis room that I've come across as far as cultivation is concerned and where, you know, genetics or cultivars are currently at. Uh, can you speak on that at all?
0: Oh, I'm sorry. What was the first part of your question?
2: Uh, just the ability to, you know, actually be able to trademark a plant. Uh, that's kind of one of the counterpoints that I heard is that, you know, that wouldn't really fly uh, in court or, you know, from kind of the genetic standpoint of a plant, it's really difficult to uh, you know, uh, have that patent on it because of the, you know, thousands or the, you know, potentially hundreds of different terpenes that we found in different, you know, genetic makeup since the cultivar plant hasn't, you know, had its genome sequenced yet. Um, do you have any, like, what's the counterpoint to, to that side of it?
0: Well, trademarking,
2: um, if I'm not, if I'm
0: correct, um, is more of the name, which is, which is a very good, very important, actually, it's almost the the most important um, part, more than the the utility patent or the patent on it, because what you call something is kind of what it becomes. You know, like if it's the it just let's just say Blue Dream is the one that cures cancer, and, and you wanted to you you named that Blue Dream, and then you let that. Well, the people could try to call it something else, but the world will know that that's the blue dream one that cures the cancer. And so, you know, that becomes important when you're trying to actually, you know, I guess, capture um, the genetic, so to speak, more than patenting it. You know, when you patent it, you got to patent specific use patent which someone could make a variant on it very easily. And then you've spent all this time and money patenting this thing that somebody can easily reproduce. And so I think I'm
2: that's seeing... what everybody is kind of... So I'm see- sorry mm-hmm. I apologize to interrupt. Um, no, it's okay. I- I'm- so I'm seeing this more as a possible, like a, a hostile takeover of the genetic names that we kind of know and love. Is where you know, like you're saying, this could be that Blue Dream one, and they're gonna make that kind of genome and call it Blue Dream, and then whatever was Blue Dream previously, essentially, we're gonna lose. Is that kind of the the gist of what you're saying? Um, I I believe I
0: understood that. I, I, um, I'm just saying they are going after the compounds, and which is important, you, you know. But it's not as important because it can be replicated very easily. But what cannot be replicated very easily is people's understanding that that particular plant works on that particular illness. Once that happens, that's the value. Because now you're helping people understand something real. You know what I'm saying? That's where it, and if you owned the trademark to that Blue Dream name and everybody began to understand that that's the one that cured cancer. It doesn't matter that 30,000 other strains cure cancer. The world knows Blue Dream does.
2: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we're speaking the same language. I understand. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. Uh,
0: I'm kind of out of breath because I'm walking around the property. Um, But... Yeah, no, and
2: I kind of wanted to pivot a little bit, too. I don't know if Forzana or uh, David, if you wanted to speak on this, or anybody, you know, kind of with kind of big pharma in their neighborhoods, like GW, uh, we've been in patents and stuff like that. Uh, you know, Forzana and David, I know, like, GW is pretty, uh, pretty big player uh, over in the U.K. market there. Are there any, you know, does these discussions kind of concern you as a medical customer or consumer? Uh, yeah, I was just interested to Uh, hear the opinions of you know folks over there that have to deal with kind of these gw uh interesting things there
4: yeah well it's a bit of a it's a bit of a disaster isn't it what's going on over here uh uh, it's a topic that's come up quite a lot but um it's not a lot that i don't know well there is a lot we can do and fazana's sort of pioneering that sort of movement over here so i don't know if she's got anything to sort of comment on but obviously we don't want to uh well, we want to be careful of the sort of companies that we end up sort of discussing live, you know. We've got to be, be careful of what we say with some of these sort of companies. There's a lot of sort of cases being bought for all kinds of different things, isn't there? Um, GW at the moment are being sort of sued by... Uh, what's it? Not my High, What's the other one? There's, another, there's a company anyway suing GW for... Um, their extraction methods, um, and I'm sure there's going to
0: be a lot of other cases brought forward. So I will just, uh, yeah, we've got to be careful what we say. I think it is GW that is trying to patent the CO2 production method, and that's what people are kind of going a berserk over right now.
2: Uh, gotcha. So I, yeah, I wasn't aware of that. I didn't. So they're bringing like litigation, as like as far as like defamation is concerned. I uh, wasn't aware of that.
0: So they've tried, they patented the CO2 method and then they have gone after, I think, I don't know which company it was, but I think they went after some company for using it. And so it's the scare can- is... Canopy Growth that have gone after GW. Exactly. So uh, Canopy Growth went after GW because GW had patented it and they're like, no, 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 you can't do that. Is that what, was that what yeah. happened? Yeah, they're claiming that they've used
4: uh, a certain method within a method, and um, that they've got the rights to it. So, but then they're going to obviously go after everybody else that uses that method. So, they're claiming they, that
0: they—that's you know, the—that's the precedent that we're scared that they're going to set, and and then it's just they're going to pick us off one by one, coming down the line, until we can't use that method. So, use that same scenario and apply it to genetics and utility patents, and broad-spectrum patents, and CBD, and CBG, and CBN. That's what's scary about this not capturing our own data so that we can use it for ourselves in the future. Yeah, it's it's worth you guys having a look
4: at, like, having a look at what patents have already been sort of applied for, because I think you'd be surprised. I think Mm -hmm. there's going to be a lot of problems in the future if people don't sort of hurry up and
0: get this sort of shit protected. 100 percent. That's actually one of my biggest stresses in life. It's not my business. It's actually protecting the genetics and making sure that we can all have something some art supplies to play with in the future.
3: Jared if you're open to connecting with Philip or Alberti here out of the University of Illinois is leading the Midwest Hemp Database uh, collection of data on different varieties. I'm not sure if it's totally in alignment with what you're doing but he's working with Purdue University out of Indiana, University of Michigan and UW Madison as well. And they're looking to bring other universities and they've spent two years really establishing their database and getting the technology set up. So um, it could potentially, re- and they are publishing the information openly. So it's not held privately, it's, well, universities. So I don't know if there's any you know, conflicts there. But if you're open to having that discussion with them to see if there's any possibility that can move your project further ahead more quickly, I'd certainly be able to make the connection for you.
0: Absolutely. There's, I always I don't really I'll, I don't turn anything down. Um, I say I don't turn anything down, but especially a projects with universities, we have genetics um, that, you know, We have different groups of genetics. We have very private things that are new, that are, you know, that are not necessarily hemp-based or that have CBDs and stuff in them. Then we have the traditional hemp stuff that the world has that many universities should have and maybe they don't. So in all that, we just kind of give to everybody regardless. So we always have a little something to work with, um, with whomever. So I, I would be totally, um, my emails in my bio.
1: I was just going to say, Jared, for everybody listening in as well, give another quick shout where they can find you, where they can get in touch with you.
0: Lostcoastwellness.com is my company and I'm jared at lostcoastwellness.com or my email. And I'm a uh, CBD Jared
1: on LinkedIn. Awesome. Thank you so much. No, I really appreciate your time today, Jared. I really appreciate the yeah, the story and the history and the explanation of, of genetics and, and kind of where we're going at the moment as well and those, those touching points. And I'd love to to really take a whole episode in the future where we really go into that and especially finding out and hearing about all the work you've done is it, it's humbling and it, i'm honored to have you here as well with us and join us and, and be able to share that experience and yeah thank you so much for for speaking on that jared
0: you you all uh doing this kind of stuff putting the the show together and just coming to the the room and talking about it and, and holding a space to to keep the conversation going because it's it's got to um, it's got to go forward, and the way they've been censoring us on all the other platforms is really disgusting, so I'm really happy that we are, we've are we got a platform. It seems like we can get some traction on for a little bit, and uh, I'm excited to see where it goes, so thank you for for holding
1: these things. No, thank you so much for joining us as well. I really, really appreciate that, and like I said as well, I think we'll take a, an episode in the future to take a, a further deep dive on it. It's been a wonderful, wonderful time with everybody in the room. I really, really appreciate everybody's time, everybody's experience, and and, and just sharing the knowledge. So thank you for for coming on and being a part of uh, the Cannabis Maker Episode 8. We'll be uh, taking another episode tomorrow at the same time, and thank you all so much for coming on. Really, really appreciate it.
0: Guys? Damn, I didn't mean to hog the whole episode.
1: The Cannabis Maker Podcast is hosted by Nordic Herb Zone and WeCan. Nordic Herb Zone is Norway's first cannabis and hemp brand and makes the world's best organic hemp rolling papers. Get in touch with us today to discuss wholesale and distribution options for the world's best organic hemp papers with the slowest burn and the smoothest taste. NordicHerbZone.com WeCan is one of the UK's leading providers of digital services, development, business and marketing tools for your cannabis business. It includes digital marketing, SEO, web design, e-commerce development, web hosting, digital marketing, branding, advertisement, wholesale and distribution and consultancy and business development. Head to WeCan.uk today to find out more.